If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 today. And, and on my heart today is a message about the church, uh, the church of Jesus Christ. And the title today is called, When the Church is All In. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 today, first 10 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, which talks about an incredible church uh, that Paul had only spent about three weeks with. And he's writing a letter back to them, commending them for their amazing uh, ability to be all in as the church. Uh, this last week, I, I, my wife and I were traveling. I really appreciate Russell Gregory uh, filling the pulpit last week, and uh, he always does such a great job. And this week, uh, we were, had an incredible week. My wife and I were in Montana, where we spent some time um, with the state convention in Montana, preaching the church on Sunday uh, in Missoula, Montana. And uh, then we got in the car and we drove north to uh, Calgary, Canada, and then across the western side of Canada, all the way to Vancouver Island, Matt and Heather Bond, church planters there that came out of this church, uh, were there. We got to see them and spend some time with them. But the beauty of the mountains was amazing. I mean, the beauty of driving through the Rocky Mountains in Canada was incredible. To see the wildlife, to see the larger-than-life mountains, bigger than the Rockies of Colorado. It's like Colorado Rockies on steroids. We, we drove about 400 miles through Rocky Mountain areas, rivers and lakes and streams. One lake was 55 miles long. It was a lake. It wasn't the ocean. I know this because we were in the middle of the peninsula and I checked the map. It wasn't an ocean, but it was a massive, massive lake. The trees, the elk, the uh, bighorn sheep, uh, everything but bear. I didn't see a bear, but I saw everything else. And we worshiped as we drove across Canada, as we looked at the glory and the beauty of what God had created. I told my wife at one point, I said, you know, Kim, if I didn't know, if I didn't know that God created the heavens and the earth, if I didn't know that God created the mountains and the rivers and the, the lakes and all that we saw, I would be tempted to worship nature. It's that beautiful. It's that incredible if this mountain had just sprouted up by itself. Well, it's to be commanded. If that river just showed up by itself, then that's something that I can adore in some way. But because I know that my God spoke and all these things came into existence, I worship the God of creation. And it's really a great thing to see, be refreshed by. You say, you say, I'm pretty excited. Well, I live in Texas and I don't get to see much of that on a normal basis. We got on the plane, it was 95 degrees. I had a long fleece shirt on, a sweater, kind of down-filled, I mean, a down uh, uh, vest. And people were looking at us like we were crazy because it was 95 degrees and we got off and it was 35 degrees and it was, a, it was just a great, great, great trip. You know, the interesting thing about, about creation is that all of creation obeys the voice of the Creator. And there's a, there's a symmetrical obedience. All respond to His voice whether it be his creative voice or whether he tells the wind to blow and it blows the leaves on a million trees, whatever it might be, all of creation responds to the glories of God's creation. But the church of Jesus Christ does not always do that. And yet the church of Jesus Christ is designed to be more glorious, more responsive, more powerful than creation. What would happen if the church responded to the Creator the way the rest of the creation responds to the Creator, that's the question I'm going to pose to you today as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's stand together for the first 10 verses of this chapter today. It's just kind of a standalone message. Next week we'll be in a new series that you're going to love. 
called Moments That Matter in a World of Chatter. We're going to have a great time talking about the power of your conversations, the power of communicating with one another. But today, when the church is all in, it's going to be about the church of Jesus. So chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. That's his salutation. That's his opening. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. That key word there, all of you. Making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know, what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also every place your faith towards God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Now, Paul never says this about any church. He never says, we don't need to say anything to you. But this church, he's saying, we don't even have to say anything about your zeal and your passion and your commitment to Christ. He goes on and says, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Man, what a chapter about an incredible church. Let's ask God to open our eyes to that. Father, in Jesus' name, open our spiritual eyes. Open our hearts so that we might be that kind of church all in with you. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us today in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. What would happen if the church would be just as responsive as creation is to the Creator? Man, that's a compelling question for me. As we looked at the book of Jonah a few weeks ago, I mean, watch the amazing response of God's creative elements responding to him. He, he said to the whale, go swallow, swallow Jonah, and he did. He uh, caused a storm to come on the sea that made Jonah want to be thrown overboard. He, uh, he raised up a tree after Jonah had preached in Nineveh. And then after Jonah had experienced that shade and comfort, he sent a worm, and the worm obeyed him to, to cause the tree to die. A, a hot wind was blowing after that that God had sent, and and the tree completely withered away, and that brought Jonah to the place of dealing with God one-on-one. -on -one. And the question back then was, if the whale obeys him, if the wind obeys him, if the worm obeys him, if the tree obeys him, why do we not obey him? And the question keeps lingering in my mind. If we followed Christ the way creation follows the Lord, what a glorious church we would be. What an amazing group of people who followed and responded to the Creator, what glory God would get, what amazing impact we would have. And that potential always exists in the church of Jesus Christ. It exists in us. And today I want us to look at how it unfolded with them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So let's break this down and look at all 
that's happening. Thessalonica is a growing church, man. It's really moving in a powerful way. Paul was there for the space of about three Sabbaths, the Bible says. He's not there long, but he's there long enough to plant incredible seeds of the gospel. And immediately they began to embrace that because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you look at the church at Thessalonica, you see everything God says about the church, that the church is about the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The church really is the family of God. We're all these things to Christ. In fact, the church is so important to Christ that it's amazing that we don't see it better because he often talks about his bride and often talks about his church. But the bottom line on this is we often see the church as that group of people or this group of people or a building or a denomination. But the church is you and the church is me. We are the church. And we, if we would respond to our creator the way creation does, what an incredible amazing impact it would have. Not only on our lives, but the lives of those around us. What made the church at Thessalonica so unique? Let's look at the things. First of all, as you read these words, you'll realize that their faith was all in. They had amazing faith in Christ. In fact, those first few words we read about here in verses two and three, Paul says that I'm, I'm thanking God for you. And then in verse three, he says, constantly bearing in mind, and then he gives some phrases here, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great summary of faith. In fact, if you want to summarize faith, those three words have to be there. The words of, 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 of faith, the words of love, the words of hope, faith, hope, and love. They're huge. They're found repeated all the way through the New Testament. These words are amazing. In fact, these words are what constitutes our faith in Jesus Christ. But as you read this chapter, you'll realize that all this doesn't happen naturally. It begins with a supernatural response to the Word of God. Keep reading in verses 3 and 4, and you'll see that he says, our Word came to you in power with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And what that says is, these people had an experience with God that left them changed and let them have this faith, hope, and love. Now let me just say this today. The church is not just those who are members in name, but the church is made up of people who have had a supernatural experience with Jesus Christ, where he has revealed himself to us as God in the flesh, Savior of our souls, the forgiver of our sin, and we surrender our hearts and lives to him. And when we, when we do that, he forgives us, gives us eternal life, and we become the children of God. The church is that group of people. And if you're one of those people you're a member of the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? To know that you're part of his family, to know that you're part of his body, to know that you're part of the army of God because of a supernatural experience. Now, I know this to be true. I know that over the years, I've met many people who have tried to be a part of the church who've never had a supernatural experience with Jesus. And so they feel like church membership is about attending and, and maybe uh, going to a small group and sometimes participating a little bit with the church, but they've never had the life-changing experience that lets them be all in with Christ and the church. They've never really come to the point where they've said, it's not just that I need to be a part of a church, I am the church of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I was flying back from uh, India and met a young woman on the plane who was an airline attendant. She sat next to me during uh, much of our trip. And uh, as I began to engage her in conversation, 
I realized she knew nothing about what the church of Jesus was. She didn't know who Jesus was. She didn't know anything about the church. And so we started talking about that. Eventually, our conversation turned into something I'd written uh, for brand new believers. And part of what I've written has to do with the church so that we can understand it better. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, they don't often know the power of the church and what the church is all about. So they see it as an organization and a group of people. But the church is really you when you come to faith in Jesus. The church is really me when I put my faith and trust in Jesus because we are the called out ones. When we put our faith in Christ, that changes everything. We're no longer just a member of the human race. We're a member of the body of Christ. And what an incredible joy that is. What an amazing responsibility that is. These people met God in a supernatural way. And as a result of that, everything was different with them. John Power writes a book I call Fully Human, Fully Alive. And in that book, uh, he, he says this. He said, fully alive people are not necessarily happy all the time. They experience failure as well as success. They are open to both pain and pleasure. They have many questions and some answers. They laugh and they cry. They dream and they hope. The only thing that remains alien to them and to their experience of life is passivity and apathy. They say a strong yes to life and a resounding amen to love. They feel the stings of growing, but their sleeves are always rolled up. Their minds are always turning and their hearts are always ablaze. And then he concludes that by saying, that sounds a great deal like the church of Jesus Christ. We may go through the same thing that everybody else goes through on planet earth in terms of hardships and difficulty and pain and heartbreak, but we don't have apathy. And, and we don't have this thing that says we're just going to lay back and let life happen. We have a purpose and a meaning and the power of God inside of our life. That's what the church looks like. And that's what the church of Thessalonica was all about. The God factor in their lives made living radically different a part of what they did. You know, someone might say today, well, how do I know that I have that? If you're talking about a radically different life, how would I know if I've had that supernatural experience with God? Let me ask you a few questions that might help. Number one, are you drawn towards God? Do you want to know Him? Do you want to find out what His will for your life is? Do you desire fellowship with God? Do you want to sense His presence and sense His closeness? Do you have a hunger for the Word of God? Do you desperately want to know what God says to us through his word? Do you long to change? Do you see parts of your life that you're not content to just leave alone and you know God needs to change it, but you long for that change to take place? If those kinds of questions are, are things that you resonate with, that's an indication that God has given you a supernatural experience of knowing him as Lord and Savior. So their faith was all in. Keep on going in chapter one, you'll find some other things. Their conduct was all in. Notice what it says in verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now, this is what I love about this church and others in the Bible is that lip service is not what they were doing. It wasn't just saying, okay, I will agree that Jesus is Lord and Master. It wasn't some kind of casual statement they made, but they were let, let, willing to let their lives be changed, be transformed because of the one that called them to a different kind of life. Their conduct was all in. And their conduct was all in. It means that they weren't holding on to things that would keep them from living for Christ. 
the normal Christian life is to give up your old way of life in order to have this new way of life. That's why Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. Our call is to a new life. Our call is to a Christ life, not to our old way of life. If there's no change in our lives, then we understand there's no real faith in our lives. Real faith brings real change. And these people were willing to become something that they had never been before by the power of Christ. Now think about this. Hearers become followers when faith is real. Hearers become followers when faith is real. There's a difference between hearing the Word of God and following Christ, isn't there? The Bible says there's a warning given to us in the book of James. Don't be hearers only, deceiving yourselves, but be hearers and doers of the word. That means I'm willing to let my conduct be changed by the power of Christ because I have faith in him more than I have in myself. And these people were willing to do that. They became followers of Paul and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The best thing we can have said about our lives is that we're followers of Christ that we're leaving the old way behind and we're following him completely with all of our heart. So let me ask you a question. Are you a follower of Christ? Does it look like you're a follower of Christ? Does your life take on that, that change pattern that happens when someone ceases to become one thing and starts becoming something entirely different because of the faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? These people had such a dramatic conversion experience. Their conduct had so radically changed that Paul wrote one of the best verses on repentance that I find in the entire Bible. That's in verse 9. It kind of explains everything. Look in verse 9. You turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. This is a key definition of repentance in the Bible. There are other verses that describe it in more detail, but this one is the simplest verse that describes what happened to that amazing church that was all in. They were all in because they fully repented or turned from their old way of life and put their faith and trust in Christ completely. What does that look like? I like to walk out this verse because this, this verse is very, very important to us, that understanding. If I'm a member of that group of people, if I'm a Thessalonian, then I'm going to be an idol worshiper by culture. They were idol worshipers. And, and as an idol worshiper, I'm going to put my trust and confidence in an idol to accomplish what I can't accomplish for myself. That's the life they had. They didn't have a belief in God. They had a belief in idolatry. So if I'm moving this way and I hear the gospel of Jesus, this verse has lived out in my life that way. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, I want you to watch the action. If I'm an idol worshiper the way they were, they were and I hear the gospel and I turn to God the way they did, that I'm now facing God and my back is towards idolatry and sin and I'm now moving in a brand new direction. That's what repentance looks like. A change of mind that results in a change of life. And so what we see about that amazing church is that their conduct was all in. They turned from idols to serve the one true God. They turned from sexual immorality and we read about it in chapter four in order to have the purity that comes with Christ. They turn uh, from hatred and division to love. That's why you find this uh, admonition to encourage one another and to love one another all the way through this letter of 1 Thessalonians. So the discipleship of the brand new church at Thessalonica was one of imitation of faith and action. Now here's what you need to hear today. If your faith is real, if it's all in, then your conduct 
will be all in as well. If your faith is all in, your life will change. And it'll change because your faith in Christ is the supernatural faith in that Son of God. That's such an important thing. Well, it goes on. It talks about more. Their conversation was all in. If you look in verse 8, it says, For the word of God, or the word of the Lord, has sounded forth from you. And now Paul is saying, now as a church, let me tell you what you're doing. You're sounding forth the story or the testimony of your faith in places that you haven't been yet. And that word is going out. The word can be translated reverberate. It's like the sound of a trumpet that's blasting. And, and so you hear the echoes of that all through the mountains and the canyons. He says, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. So we don't really have to do anything. You're telling everybody about your new faith in Christ. Now I want to camp here for just a few moments because of the power of those words. Let me just say the word was getting out not because of social media or any other media production. It wasn't because of any printed pieces that they were sending out. It wasn't because of marketing or anything else. It was the sound of hundreds and thousands of people having conversations with people who didn't know Jesus and being told by those who did know Jesus how Jesus has changed their life. Let me tell you something. At the heart of it all, the way to change the world is one person at a time telling them about what Jesus Christ has done with your life. Now, they may not have gotten church down right. They may have not gotten the organization down right, but they knew who changed their life, and they knew it was Jesus, and you couldn't keep them from talking about Jesus to other people. It was just like the apostles in the book of Acts who said this when told to be quiet. They said, we cannot but help speak and say what the things are that we've seen and heard. We can't keep from talking about it. We're going to tell everybody about Jesus because he's transformed our lives. So let me just say this to you today. If, if our conversation is all in, we're going to be telling people like they were about Jesus in some way. Their enthusiasm was evident. Did you know the indicator is in the, uh, in the New Testament, the indicator is that hundreds and thousands of people came to Christ because of the conversation of the few who first came to Christ. 120 in the upper room filled with the Holy Spirit. They went out telling everybody. And as a result of them telling everybody, God empowered them. He gave them energy and power they wouldn't have otherwise. But they were walking by faith, stepping into conversation, pointing people towards Jesus Christ, and it changed the world. You're here, and I'm here, because somebody back then had a spirit-anointed conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and one of, your, one of your ancestors came to Christ, and so they shared their faith, and they shared their faith, and today faith is real and alive. That means if we're quiet, that Christianity will not be passed on, and yet the church is called to have these amazing conversations. Uh, I read a book a number of years ago uh, that was about the largest church in Korea, which was a church of 300,000 at the time. And this church was high in commitment. As a matter of fact, one of the practices this church had was that they would not baptize a new believer until that new believer had brought someone else to faith in Jesus. Now, I don't necessarily agree that that's the way you must operate, but their reasoning was this. In a hostile culture, I really know that your faith is real if you'll share it with someone outside a friendly circle. 
I really know your faith is real when you're willing to take a risk, walk by faith, and tell someone else about that Jesus saved your life. Because if you're really convinced that Jesus has forgiven you, if you're really convinced that he's alive from the dead, you're going to tell somebody else about that. And when you do that, that's fruit enough for me to say, we will baptize you by immersion. You know, over the years, these amazing conversations are what really transmits Christianity from family to family from neighbor to neighbor, and even from nation to nation. And the great thing about this is all of us can do this. All of us can have these kinds of kingdom conversations. All of us can be involved to that degree. I, I read this all the time. 80% of people who are not part of the church, who do not know Jesus Christ, are receptive to a spiritual conversation. And if you and I have those kinds of spiritual conversations the way the church at Thessalonica did, then the word of the Lord is sounding forth. That message is getting out wherever we go in our neighborhoods, wherever we do marketing, wherever we go, that's where the word of the Lord is going out. And that's a key. That's a key. You know that conversations change our lives, right? I know I've heard this over and over again with people that share with me. Somebody had a conversation with me and it got my attention. Somebody talked to me, and I learned something I'd never known before. Somebody pulled me aside and said, can I really share something in my heart with you? And my life was changed as a result of that. That's what these conversations do. And kingdom conversations are inviting people to church. It's talking to people about Jesus Christ. It's something as simple as saying, hey, come to church with me, because you know they're going to hear the gospel when they come. Come sit with me. So you know they won't be alone. And when someone responds about uh, something like, I don't have my life together yet. I want to get it all together before I come to church. You should just say, just, just come to church with me. Just come and hear how God changes people's life. Just come and experience the Lord. Do you remember the first words of the first disciples? Jesus said to them, come and see. And they went out and told others to come and see Jesus. So they had a conversation that was all in. And finally, their service was all in. Their service was all in. Notice verse 9 and 10. You turned to God from idols. And then the last part of that is really a key, a key phrase. To serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. To serve and to wait. To serve and to wait. You're saying, well, why were they so expected? What was the big deal? And I think the answer was this. The Thessalonians had experienced everything else they could experience, every form of immorality, every form of adultery, every form of paganism. They met Jesus, and right away, they knew Jesus was better than anything they'd ever experienced before. And so they turned from that life of sin to Jesus to serve him and to wait until he came back in his return. Is that so hard for us to grasp? That our calling, our life, is for us to serve him and to wait for his return. Those are two key phrases. You know, it's always better when all of us serve and wait for him, eagerly anticipating him, eagerly praying for his return. I was reading the book of Nehemiah this past week, and, and most of you know the message of Nehemiah and the work of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem hundreds of years before Christ came, and the walls had been broken down and burned with fire for hundreds of years. And Nehemiah was called by God to rise up and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild those walls. It's a great read. It's an amazing read. 
because they rebuilt those walls in 52 days. Massive, massive walls with just a few people rebuilt by hand thousands of years ago now in 52 days. But the key was this. The key was they trusted God to help them, but they all worked together, all of them. Nehemiah had stationed different families at different spots along the wall. All of them worked, sometimes through great opposition and through great adversity, at times holding a brick in one hand and a sword in the other, always praying, always trusting that all of them were working for the same thing. And they rebuilt those walls in 52 days by the power of God. Now, the Bible says that whatever things we read about in the Old Testament are examples for those of us who live at the end of the age. And I look back at Nehemiah's day and say, what could the church do if we all did this together in the power of God? What is the potential of the New Testament church if we respond to him the way creation does, the way Nehemiah's people in that day did? What is the potential? You're awful quiet today. Hopefully you're exploring the potential with me. Hopefully you're dreaming and thinking what Jesus always wants the church to be, a group of people fully devoted, fully committed to him. So we know this about the New Testament church. They gathered together on the first day of the week, every first day. That's why we know it's called the Lord's Day today because on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead and the New Testament church began to practice their gathering together on that day from that day on. So on the first day of the week, they gathered together and they called it the Lord's Day because it belonged to him, because it was not a day that they were going to be all in about them. It was going to be a day where they were all in about Jesus. Do you know today the average church member in evangelical America attends church 1.6 times a month? It's not necessarily all in. 1.6 times a month. Now, now, I have to tell you this. When I was growing up, uh, as you know, I was a Baptist pastor's kid, and I, I went to every meeting there is to have in a Baptist church growing up. I was there on Sunday morning, there on Sunday night. We had training union. Anybody remember what training union is? Uh, we had Wednesday night, and, uh, and then on Tuesday night, my mother often met with Women's Missionary Union, WMU, and there wasn't a babysitter for me, so I went with her to WMU. <laughs> I don't think it's done in my spiritual growth or anything like that, but I went to those women's meetings as a 10-year-old. I was there often. When my wife and I got married, uh, we began the practice of attending church on the first day of the week, worshiping the Lord, being involved in the New Testament church long before I was a pastor of a church. I look back on all those times when I gathered with God's people and not one time could I say, what a waste of time. I look back on all those times and I see I grew. I was a part of something bigger than myself. I was able to worship the Lord. I was able to develop as a brand new believer. I was able to see mature people and follow after them, learning to imitate them as they imitated the Lord. It was so powerful. And when I look at our culture today and I see families struggling and I see individuals hitting the ceiling of growth and not going any further, I wonder, well, it's not so surprising we devote ourselves so little to gathering together in worship and to gathering together for the Word of God. If that is the average of this church, and I don't believe it is, but if it were, boy, what an overwhelming obstacle in order to be fully developed believers in Christ. You see, the church at Thessalonica was all in. And here's what I want to say to you. Be all in. Not just for the attendance pen. <laughs> Be all in for Christ. 
Be all in for the purpose of the church. Be all in for the mission of the church. Be all in. They were gathered to worship. They gathered to serve. Can you imagine nearly 4,000 active members of our church who are active at various times during the month or the year? Can you imagine 4,000 active leaders manning ministry and taking care of needs and encouraging others to grow to their fullness in Christ? Be all in with service. They gather for community. The New Testament church gathered so that friendships would thrive, so that love would be shared, so that they might grow together in maturity. Be all in when it comes to community. They gathered to give. Can you imagine the New Testament church as they gathered to give and all participated? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. When you gather on the first day of the week, set aside an offering for that day. Give to the Lord. You know what giving stats are today across evangelicalism, maybe, but let me tell you what giving stats are like across our church life. Did you know that on a, on a normal basis, about 35% of our people who attend this church on a weekly basis give anything at all? About 35%. So that's just under one-third of the whole church. What could happen if the other 66% would participate in some way in giving? Can you imagine that with me? Can you imagine what all in would look like? Can you imagine that 66% taking steps of faith, learning to give for the first time, maybe a small amount, maybe a large amount, whatever it is, knowing the joy of generosity, knowing the joy of impacting other people's lives in ministry and in reaching those that have never come to Christ. Imagine that joy with me for just a moment. Imagine a church that has no vacancies in where someone could serve because they're all filled with people that are serving. Imagine a church that's never behind budget because we're always giving, we're 100% all in and we meet every need we have and we live that way. Imagine a church where seats are filled because people wanna worship the Lord and prioritize that work on a day-by-day basis and their worship on a day-by-day basis. If you imagine that with me for just a moment, you can imagine what Jesus intends for the church to be. Groups of people like us, who respond the way creation does. If the whale can do it, if the tree can do it, if the worm can do it, if the wind can do it, if the wind blows and a million leaves and a million trees are blown by that wind, then by the wind of the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be that church that responds well to our Creator. That's what we need to do. But the church is you. And the church is me. It's not just saying, y'all. That wouldn't work in Montana, but it does work in Texas. It means you. It means you be all in. Because when you're all in, someone sees that and they imitate you as you imitate the Lord. Then they become all in. And then you have another. And then you have another. And before long, then all of creation and the church is responding to the Creator. The New Testament church was all in because that's all they knew and all they needed to have the fulfilled life. Are we really any different from them? Next week, we're going to encourage you all to be all in. I, there may be some phenomenal event next week, but you know what? The most phenomenal event next week will be gathering for worship at Cross City Church. Next week, we'll ask you to step up and serve in some way. 
There might be some cool thing that you can put your hand to somewhere else, but you know the best thing for you to do is to put your hand to the plow of serving Christ at Cross City Church. Next week, we'll ask everyone to come and bring an offering of some kind so that there can be 100% participation. Whether you're a preschooler that just got dedicated to the Lord today, can barely hold on to that little uh, envelope, whatever it might be. Uh, to, the, to the oldest senior adult in our church, 100% participation so we can all experience the joy of generosity and the joy of giving to the Lord and the joy of being able to say, here's what we can all do together. It's gonna be an incredible Sunday, but here's the deal. The experience you have at being all in will be unmatched with anything else that you can find in life. I've never experienced any joy greater than knowing that I'm all in with Christ. He was all in with me. Trust me today, he is all in for you. When he died on that cross, he shed every drop of his blood for you and for your forgiveness and for your reconciliation. For us to be all in, it's not a big price to pay. It's a response of gratitude that says, just like creation responds to you, I will respond to you by being all in. Today, would you bow your heads for just a few moments? Are you all in for Christ? Are you holding something back? Are you holding commitment back? Are you more all in to something else? than you are to Jesus and the church. And today, let the Holy Spirit speak to you about your commitment, about you, the church. It may be today that you come and say, you know, I don't know that I've ever had that supernatural experience that those people had. Maybe that's why it's so hard for me to be all in with my conduct changing or my conversation changing. Today, I want you to know that the invitation is for you to come and give your life to Christ who gave his life for you. Our counselors are going to come to the front. They're going to be ready, prepared to talk to you. And over these next few moments, my appeal to you is don't wait one minute. Just walk to the front.